Welcome to the new Two Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Two Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. I'm Ron Aaron. We're delighted to have you with us as we talk about a very interesting and for many people an important topic. We're going to be addressing tips for healthy aging in honor of Healthy Aging Month. Our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, is with us. Dr. Perry is currently a provider at WellMed at Redbird Square in Dallas. She's board certified in family medicine, been in practice for more than 15 years. She has an undergraduate degree from Prairie View A&M University, went on to graduate from Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, where she was National Health Service Corps Scholar. She completed her family re medicine residency at Methodist Charlton Medical Center, where she served as chief resident. And Dr. Perry is also a diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. She also has a master's degree in public health, emphasis in health management and policy at the University of North Texas Health Science Center. And Dr. Perry, uh, your background is perfect for the kind of topic we're talking about today, uh, both your experience in medicine and public health, how to age and how to age well. Absolutely. Um, did you know by 2060, 25% of the population, which is about 95 million Americans, will be 65 or older? So we definitely need to know how to gracefully flow into that. And we're going to talk with uh, one of your colleagues who is joining us. Roman Castillo is a well-med physician at Elam up in Dallas. He earned his medical degree from the Universidad Iberoamericana, located in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. He grew up in the Bronx, completed his residency at St. Barnabas Hospital, located there the very same hospital in which he was born. Dr. Castillo is board certified in internal medicine. And, and Dr. Castillo, I have to ask you, when you were there as a resident, uh, did any of the doctors or nurses say, I remember you as a little baby here? You know, I actually, I, I looked around, but I couldn't find anyone. But I got to leave. I got to leave. <laughs> but you tried, right? I tried, yeah. <laughs> what was that like for you, coming full circle born there and now training as a resident there. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a really great experience. It was an opportunity to really give, give back. Um, and it was a, it was very special for me. Um, the training was fantastic. I'm incredibly grateful to that hospital and to that community, that patient community that really taught me medicine uh, and taught me how to treat an underserved population. So uh, if anyone, if any of my Barnabas colleagues are listening, you know, you, thank you so much. That's it's pretty cool. Place. It's a special place. Now we wanted to talk about healthy aging, this being healthy aging month. And maybe you and Dr. Perry can explain something to me. Uh, you can take two people, same age, same city, same gender. One looks incredibly fit and young. And the other looks like there's one foot in the grave already. How does that happen? 
well, there are common, really common health challenges among seniors, you know, um, stroke, heart attack, genetics, cognitive health decline, but it's how you um, flow into your silver years really makes that determination that you were talking about. I mean, Dr. Castillo, would you, would you agree? Um, and when you have those two individuals, you're like, why do you look 30 and I look 60 and we're both 50? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it all comes down to, to knowledge, what you know, and that translates into lifestyle. So uh, I, I'm a firm believer that in 10 years and probably even less, probably even five, we're going to be eating completely different than we do today. Um, uh, lifestyle plays an enormous role what we put into our mouths, but also the habits that we have uh, in our day-to-day -day lives really determine, uh, you know, uh, how we age and, 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 and the state of our health in those, in those pivotal years. Um, how, how, and, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you, you piqued my curiosity. How will our diets change? Will we be eating more crickets and grasshoppers and ants? Well, um, you know the old adage, you are what you eat, right? Um, I think that we're going to add something to that in the future. Not only you are what you eat, but, you, but when you eat it. Um, so, uh, for example, the evidence is coming out. This is just an example of some of the interventions that we can do in terms of time-restricted feeding. You know, it's called, you know, many people know it, for example, as intermittent fasting. Um, but I prefer the term time restricted feeding. It's a little bit more, uh, you know, it encompasses what we actually do. And fasting is a bit of a harsh term when you, when you throw it around, people associate that with starvation and, and being miserable. Um, but I think that this is going to be a game changer because it physiologically fits into people's lives and how our bodies actually work. Right. Um, we have an epidemic, a crisis of insulin resistance in this country, meaning that we eat too much during the day. It spikes our insulin, which is an anabolic hormone, meaning a hormone that stores and builds things. And it tells it's basically a signal for fat storage. So if you eat the right things and eat it within a certain compressed period of time without gorging, I think that that's going to be one of the many lifestyle interventions that's going to be interesting. So that's an example. I want to talk more about that in a moment, but yeah. for folks who may have just joined us, I want to welcome you to Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. We're delighted to have you with us. Our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry is here. I'm Ron Aaron. And we're talking on our Docs in a Pod hotline with Roman Castillo. Dr. Castillo is at WellMed at Elam up in the Dallas area. Uh, when you say restricted eating, uh, I, I see more and more articles in the New York Times and elsewhere on periodic fasting. Uh, and, and what does that do to our bodies? Some might say other than make you hungry. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating uh, to say the least. That's the only word that I would describe. So basically what happens is we've started to study many studies. Several studies have started to come out where they look at giving patients, giving study you know, populations where they give them, they tell them, eat your meals, let's say in an eight hour window or in a six hour window or in a four hour window or one meal a day. And there are varying response, but there is a common denominator behind all that. The most studied example of that is the so-called 16 and eight fast where you eat in an eight hour window, you fast for a 16 hour window. 
of which maybe half is, you know, you're sleeping, so you don't notice it, right? Um, But what happens in that is that when you stop eating, um, your blood sugar starts to dip, but it doesn't go beyond a certain amount because your body, we have one hormone to lower blood sugar, which is insulin. But we have four, interestingly enough, to increase our blood sugar. Those are the so-called counter-regulatory hormones. Our our bodies are actually better at raising blood sugar than lowering it. So what happens when you stop eating? These hormones eventually kick in. Insulin dips below, you know, to a certain amount. It it, It decreases over time because you're not eating anything. And you have to mobilize the adipose tissue, the fat that you have in order to basically stay alive. So, and, and for your body to function, it needs to burn fuel in order to do that. The other interesting thing behind that is that when you fast, um, you actually, and this, you know, different things happen at different times during, you know, during the fast, the more time, the more you fast, the different switches that get turned on, interestingly enough. So for example, after a certain amount of hours, your insulin sensitivity goes up. So insulin is a hormone, it's a signal, right? So when you have too much in the system, the body almost becomes numb to it. So we call that insulin resistant, which in a nutshell is the cause for type two diabetes, you know, the the, the pandemic, the, the epidemic that is type two diabetes. So if you fast, you actually increase the amount of receptors but you lower the amount of insulin, basal insulin, that that sort of circulating, you know, level of insulin that's in the body and your body becomes more adept, becomes better at detecting the insulin there is. So when you do have a meal, you actually process that blood sugar much better, much more efficiently because the body can actually read the insulin. So we have seen studies where they test, they use a, a marker called HOMA IR, which is where they, it's actually a marker for insulin sensitivity. And this actually goes up during the fast. Um, growth hormone. I don't know if you guys have heard, well, you guys have heard of HGH, right? Of guys injecting themselves with HGH and stuff like that in order to look young and build muscle. Interestingly enough, growth hormone is secreted in fasting right? The body liberates growth hormone during fasting. And where does it come from? So growth hormone, it comes from a, from a little walnut sized gland at the base of the brain called the pituitary. And that in and of itself is regulated by another hormone that comes from a part of the brain called the, the hypothalamus. And it's a very complex sort of balance, uh, a ballad of, 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 you know, hormones that regulate one another and that, and that dictate their, their, you know, each other's functioning. But we see that in grow in, in fasting, this can go up by as much as 500%, you know, growth hormone levels. And so growth hormone is, you know, growth hormone decreases as we age, right? It decreases as we age and it is typically only secreted physiologically between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. So that's why, you know, you should ideally be sleeping in that time. But it's also increased and it's potentiated during fasting, which is very interesting. Which what does that mean? Well, it, it, it translates into, for example, when you're fasting, you will have preferential oxidation or burning of 
fatty tissue and preservation of your muscle, which is exactly what we want. So the body is very intelligent. It's very intelligent in the way that it reacts to fasting. You know, obviously we live in 2022. We have all this technology. We all, we have, you know, we're not, you know, we're not cavemen anymore, but I think that there is some validity to understanding that there was a time where food was scarce and that we needed to have physiological mechanisms in order to stay alive for four or five, six days um, between a hunt. And I think that that could be translate, translated into many of the nutritional practices. We're seeing that bear out in some of the literature. We need an enormous, we need much more, um, you know, literature on this and, and, and studies, but I think we're seeing the direction moving. You know, we're, we're seeing the needle certainly moving. I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, no food until daddy brings home that buffalo. Uh, and, and that was not necessarily a bad thing, if I understand you correctly. We're going to come back to this in just a moment. I'm Ron Aaron. This is Docs in a Pod with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry and Dr. Roman Castillo is with us, well-met at Elam up in Dallas is where you find him. This is fascinating stuff. You're listening to Docs in a Pie. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality healthcare with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. This is a fascinating conversation. And if you are joining us late, uh, you want to look for the podcast of this show available where you find your podcast, because uh, what we have here is really a, an academic discussion on eating and fasting in the body and regulating food intake with Dr. Roman Castillo. Wellman at Elam is where you find him up near Dallas. And we're talking about uh, how the way we eat as Dr. Elam is predicting, will drastically change over the next many years. And uh, I want to come back to, to what you said, Dr. Castillo, because there's no question more and more articles are appearing about fasting. Uh, let's come back to what you were saying, that not eating for a while may actually be good for you. Yeah, it, 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 it confers a, an enormous amount of benefits. Um, and it also changes your relationship to food. So I like to think of it as you're not plugged into the wall, you know, um, you know, in my job, you know, I have to be focused, you know, physicians have to be focused. You have to, you don't want to miss a critical lab value. And, and it also has been attributed to that sort of phenomenon. You know, interestingly enough, um, there is a substance called brain derived neurogenic factor with BDNF. Some authors, perhaps a little bit sensational have described it as miracle growth for the brain or something like that. I've heard it, some people describe it as, but basically it, it is associated with, you know, increase in neurogenic connections. And this is interestingly enough, expressed in fasting. 
Um, you know, so so there are a lot of things that 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 are very interesting, and it's free. It's easy to do. It's accessible to everyone. But I think um, it's also important, Dr. Castillo, that the the patient, especially the senior population patient, if they that they get some guidance from their physician, like you know, like yourself. Um, you know, we don't want people to just start fasting and they said, well, I'm not eating for three days. Cause you know, I heard that that was okay. So there is, there is a, a, a method to the madness. Like you talked about the 16, eight method. Um, so, so most certainly I totally uh, completely agree with you on this. We just, because this is not our cultural norm right now, we definitely need to make want to make sure we guide the population. Come back to what that 16, eight method is. Uh, so Dr. Castillo. So basically it's, you know, you eat in an eight hour window and you fast for another 16. This is sort of the most commonly, you know, uh, described method. It's pretty simple. It fits into people's lives and it's pretty natural. And I absolutely agree with you. You know, when I, when I, you know, with our patients, I, I always, uh, you know, basically uh, try to uh, create a, platform a mm-hmm. protocol by which that they could do. Obviously, some of the patients who want who are on medications that can lower your blood sugar, who are on insulin, these are trickier. But uh, you know, it is pretty well tolerated. And I will preface this, I'll, I'll preface what I'm going to say with this is that in order to be successful with these fasting, I don't call them diets, it's really lifestyle, right? Correct. Um, and I really don't like calling it fasting either because it, it, it implies that it's some sort of fat or you're going for labs the next day or something like that. Um, this time restricted feeding way of eating, you know, you have to, you have to cut down refined carbohydrates and processed foods drastically. Um, carbohydrates in and of themselves simply make you hungry. They make you hungry because what do they do? Especially refined carbohydrates, right? Because what do now they, what would they, be, a, what be an example of uh, one of those refined carbohydrates. Well, the ho hos and the, the coffee cakes. <laughs> I don't know if you can and, say uh, ho ho on the radio. Can you? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and any of those, you know, and, and you know, white bread and all of those things. And, uh, you know, they, because what do they do? They're man made sugars, right? And they spike your blood sugar, spike your insulin, and then it comes down drastically after that. And then what happens? Well, you get hungry. And you got to eat two to three hours later. So, so those uh, two chocolate chip cookies don't solve my hunger. No, no, unfortunately they don't. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I always, you know, I, I tell my patients cut out processed foods and I explain what processed foods are. If it comes in a bag and it's man-made and when you read the ingredient label, it looks like it was made in a lab at, you know, Los Alamos. You don't want to eat that, you know? You know, you mentioned you say that. I usually tell my patients, if you drive around to a window and they hand you your food through a bag, that's probably not for you. It's yeah, not for you. I'm, I'm going to steal that, actually. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. not for you. Yeah, I'm going to use that myself. <laughs> that's really pretty good. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, what do you, what do you think about aging and physical activity? I think it's incredibly important. I think that, uh, of course, aerobic exercise, getting your heart rate to a certain amount, which, you know, we calculate obviously using your age and stuff like that. Phys- physical exertion is incredibly important. Weights are incredibly 
important. In resistance training? Resistance training is incredibly important, especially, especially in postmenopausal female patients. Exactly. It increases bone density. Now I tell my patients, you know, we tend to associate weightlifting, you know, it tends to be associated with a young person's activity, right? You know, but it's, it really should be uh, pushed the hardest uh, towards postmenopausal female patients, obviously postmenopausal female patients, because it increases bone density. And basically what this means is that your bones are tougher, right? They're tougher and you're less susceptible to fractures. And we all know fractures as we age are, can be a very, very bad thing. So um, I'm a big believer in those things. The other thing that I actually tell my patients, which, uh, you know, is to, if they, to push the cart and to, so, uh, and to, and to pull the cart. So basically um, if you don't have that, you can walk backwards on a treadmill. So walking backwards on a treadmill, I tell my patients, put the, incline, you know, the incline all the way up. And then, I don't know, start at half a mile per hour, which is, you know, usually very tolerable. Everyone can do half a mile per hour. And then you increase accordingly. And what you're going to notice, interestingly enough, is that your legs are going to burn, your your quads and your knees are going to burn. And you're strengthening a a little tendon called the VMO, the ventral, a little muscle called the VMO, the ventral medial oblique. And what this does is it strengthens your knee joints uh, and, uh, you know, walking prolonged, uh, you know, we actually have walking backwards tests. We actually use a test where we have patients walk backwards and we use that to predict the risk of fall and fragility and walking backwards has been associated with an increased risk of fall and it reduces knee pain. So these are simple interventions. So you know, interesting when resistance training. we should all become defensive backs in football because <laughs> they spend their whole life yes. running backwards. Right. Yes. Yeah. And you, you know, we did it as a kid, one, a trainer that I had before in the past, he used to play professional football. And the thing he had me do was running backwards up a hill. And, you know, I realized then that I am not coordinated and it was not <laughs> as easy as it looked. Um, but we, we, I am incredibly frugal. And like Dr. Castillo was saying, there are things you can do at home that don't cost a lot of money that can help strengthen your body. I mean, even if you're a senior who may currently have leg issues, Issues. You can always sit in your chair, put your cans of green beans in your hands, move them up and down while you're watching your favorite program. You can also go to like Ross or Walmart on clearance at a garage sale, buy very, very light um, one, two pound ankle weights strapped into your ankles, move your legs up and down while you're seated. There's things that you can do that you wouldn't even think about that actually adds to the longevity of your joints, decrease pain. I mean, wouldn't you, Dr. Castillo, um, agree? Absolutely. It, it is, you know, the old adage, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. That's um, right. It, it, it applies. It's unbelievable. And it reduces pain and it gives you quality of life. You're able to function for a longer period of time. You're able to enjoy your family, uh, even if it's just going outside for a walk, you know. But the other thing is consistency is key. You know, you got to do it and you got to stick with it. Um, And I tell my patients, this is for life. This is for life. Um, And, you know, the ones who do stick with it, they they enjoy it and they can't imagine living without it. 
So, you know, the thing is just start, just start. So we've got less than a minute, Dr. Castillo. Share with us what you do in the way of diet and exercise. What does Roman Castillo do? So I personally eat one meal a day. That's what I do um, because I like to, and I eat around 6 p.m. Um, and the reason is because I become much, I feel more focused during work. And I did some continuous glucose monitoring. And what I saw was that by eliminating my meal during the day, my blood sugar was very, very boring. It was, you know, 70s and it didn't peak. And my energy levels were very stable. So I typically eat at 6 p.m. I eat a diet where my carbohydrates, I try to get them in my vegetables. And, they, and it has a negligible amount of carbohydrates to begin with. So I get it in broccoli, cauliflower, lettuce, tomato. I'll eat some avocado. The fats that I get, I typically try to get them from natural sources. Whether and what about protein? And protein, I try to mix things with fish, uh, chicken, pork loin. I'll have a cut of beef every once in a while because I love steak. Um, but I won't pair it with the, with the baked potato. Um, I don't eat processed foods. I don't eat juice. I don't drink juice. I don't, I don't drink my calories because I like to eat. Right. And, and then that's it. That's pretty much it. I try to keep things as, as simplified as possible. And I do try to pile on the vegetables. I got to stop you right there. Unfortunately, we are flat out of time. This has been fascinating. Dr. Roman Castillo, Wellman at Elam in Dallas. For Dr. Tamika Perry, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us on Docs in a Pod. Executive producers for Two Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker, and associate producers are Natalie Ibarra and Maurice Hudson. Thank you for listening to Two Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure and tune in next week for another edition of Two Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron. Mm-hmm.